Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning to have this opportunity of worship together. It has certainly been uplifting in every way, and it is a joy to see you and to be with you this time that we've had in worship and the opportunity we have now to study his word. Uh, back at the very beginning of our year, we uh, established, our eld- elders established a theme for us for this first trimester. And that theme has been soldiers of Christ. And we've done various sermons, John and I, throughout these four months uh, about what it means to be a soldier, about the fact that we are in a battle, about who our enemy is, how God equips us as soldiers and how we are then best to deal with that. In a lot of ways, all of this has been working up towards what we're going to talk about today. And the fact is... What we have out in front of us is imminent victory. And that's what we're interested in. That's what we want. When you're engaged in battle, you are interested in victory. That is what each and every one of us is looking for. It's what we're searching for. It's what we're yearning for. We are yearning for victory. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say specifically about it. You know, it's been interesting along this journey over the past few months about us being soldiers of Christ and the many applications that we've been able to make and the reality of the applications that we've been able to make individually, but yet at the same time, the applications we've been able to make collectively. That yes, that I am a soldier on the battlefield waging war against Satan who is certainly waging war against me, And I'm doing that individually, but yet there is incredible consolation and blessing and encouragement that comes from also the reality that I'm doing so on the battlefield with you. That you're on the battlefield next to me and you're waging war and you are equipped in much the same way and we are doing that together. And so there have been many applications on both of those things and this morning we're going to continue to do that. But what we're going to see when it comes to uh, the regards of victory and what the Bible has to say about it, we're primarily going to make two points today, two admonitions, if you will, with applications that hopefully as we put a close to this idea over these last few months will be helpful to us when we think about this reality. And so the first kind of admonition that I want us to spend some time in thinking about and dealing about is for us to understand that with Christ there is absolute and sure victory. It isn't a maybe, it isn't a high percentage, it isn't there might be. With Christ there is absolute and sure victory. 100%, as strong of words that you can come up with to paint that picture, that is the reality that's given to us biblically. That if you side with Christ, if you choose Jesus, and you choose to be a follower of his, what comes with that choice is absolute and sure victory. It has to be the very front of our minds. And it has to be a reality that we live in. 
And so biblically, that bears its way out. Let's talk a little bit about victory. And primarily, the use of that word in the Greek for us in the pages of the New Testament. Listen, a lot of you have have heard uh, me uh, preach lots of times, probably more times than you want to do the math in your mind by now. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge user of Hebrew or Greek words. I'll use it uh, occasionally. You're going to be blown away with the amount of times we're going to use it today because there is a lot of cool things that happen with this word, and it really was helpful to me. And because of that, I want to share it with you, and hopefully that it'll be helpful with you and for you as well. This word victory that we see in the pages of the New Testament it is the Greek word nikeo, and it is a Greek word that if you just look up its definition, it is conquer, overcome, prevail, or get the victory. That's how it is defined. And in the pages of the New Testament, it's used 28 times, 28 times in the New Testament. And what's really interesting is of those 28 times, 17 of those times you find it in the book of Revelation. If you expand John and his writings, primarily the book of 1 John, but also in the Gospel of John, you can expand it out to John's writings to 24 of the 28 times this Greek word is used, you'll find it there. 24 of the 28 times. The most common translation of this word, nikeo, is the word overcome. I love that. Because it really gives us the idea about what victory is about. It is about overcoming. It is about being on the other side. And when we begin to think about it that way, I want us to see in the book of Revelation specifically, and that's where we're going to start this morning, is this idea, this word, really sets the tone in God's book of victory. That's what the book of Revelation is. We've just spent the last four months studying Daniel and then Revelation in the high school class, and a lot of you know that was on the back end of me spending four months of teaching Daniel and Revelation in the adult class. And so for me, eight months in a row of studying Daniel and the book of Revelation, so we're going to be talking about Revelation a bit this morning. But it is. It is the book of victory in every way. And this word sets the tone. If you remember or know much about the book of Revelation, it is really comprised as a letter, an epistle written to God's people. And it begins with these individual letters to various churches Various churches spread about in Asia that's covered in chapters 2 and chapter 3, the seven churches of Asia. And then beginning in chapter 4, it is this incredible vision that is shown to John that he then shares to all of the Christians and really to us. But it is in those individual letters that this word really begins to set the tone. You can probably count on the screen behind me how many verses we're going to look at. Seven churches, seven verses, one right after the other. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, you're going to be looking for the word overcome. That is that word nikeo in the Greek. Verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give 
to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Chapter 3 now, verse 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And finally, chapter 3 and verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Every single time, all seven churches, you have this admonition of victory and the incredible blessings that come because of it. Now, if you were following along in your Bible as we are reading that, the word overcome used in the New King James Version that I use, New America Standard, will use that same phrase, overcome. If you use the ESV, you'll see a phrase like, conquering in the English Standard Version. But if you use the NIV or the New Living Translation, either one of those, they use the word victorious. And then really throughout the rest of this book, this word is found to reference Christ and his followers and the incredible victory that comes. Let's go to the very last use of this word found in Scripture. The very last time this word is found is in Revelation chapter 21. Let's take a look at it. We'll grab some context by beginning in verse 2 and then we'll read down through verse 7. Revelation chapter 21, beginning of verse 2, down to verse 7, the very last occurrence of this Greek word for victory. Revelation 21 and verse 2, he says this, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now here, verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. 
and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And so here you have the very last occurrence of this word. I love the translation in the New Living Translation of this verse in Revelation chapter 21 of verse 7 where it says, All who are victorious will inherit these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. It's an incredible victory, an incredible promise, but yet only reserved for those who are God or who have Jehovah as their God. This incredible promise, this incredible promise and blessing of victory is reserved only for those who choose to follow God. It is the only path to victory. Now, I want us to go back to this word, We're going to leave the book of Revelation, but we're going to now go to the book of 1 John. And there is a a passage that you're also probably familiar with. It is a passage I made mention that of the book of 1 John in particular, six different times you can find this word. It's used. I want us to expand our thoughts. We're going to actually look at one other verse and then kind of bring this first point home here in just a moment. But in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, I want us to think about now this impact that this reality can have on our focus. This reality that with Christ is the victory. That's the reality that I want us to be thinking about. With that understanding, if we really operate with that understanding, what is the impact then that that can have on my life, on my focus, primarily on my perspective? Well, I think 1 John helps us with an understanding of that. Look at what he says. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I want us to think about what this passage is saying specifically in regards to our perspective and our perspective with God's commandments. You see, if our perspective on the commandments of God is such that I am not controlled by the world and its things, if that is my understanding, I am not controlled by the world. I am not controlled by the world's things. I am ruled by God and His will. I want you to think about if that is my perspective, I'm not controlled by the world. I'm not controlled by the world's things. I'm controlled by the will of God. I'm ruled by him. If that is my perspective, what then is my outlook on his commandments? Well, then I'm going to look at his commandments and say, well, his commandments are not burdensome to me. I am ruled by him. I'm ruled by him. I'm not. I'm not. Those things are not a burden to me because I am ruled by him and his will. 
And so this reminder is given to us three different times in these two verses, verses 4 and 5, that this, whatever is born of God, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. He who overcomes the world, but he who believes in Jesus is the Son of God. You see that three different times. The importance of overcoming the world, it now is my perspective. My perspective is where it needs to be. So what is the key to that perspective? The end of verse 5, it is faith. It is my belief and my understanding of where victory lies. And so one more thing about this word. I think it is the coolest, and hopefully you will as well. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, maybe you're like, I mean, can this word even become stronger? And most certainly it can. Look at Romans chapter 8, a passage that possibly you, you thought that we'd be spending a moment in, and certainly we will, but a really cool thing happens with this word. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. He says, oh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you see our word there? Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is that Greek word we're looking for. But what's really interesting about this Greek word is that more than conquerors phrase is one word. So in the New King James that I have, I think it's similar in the ESV, more than conquerors. The New American Standard uses the phrase overwhelmingly conquer. I like that a lot, overwhelmingly conquer. Again, the New Living Translation that we made reference to already, it uses this way, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This is the picture that Paul is trying to get us to understand, is the victory that comes with Christ isn't a close battle. It isn't a, you know, maybe it goes a back and forth and, and maybe we'll catch a break and if I side with Christ, I'm going to win. It isn't the, I just don't know what side to go with because, oh, we just don't really know which way it's going to go. I mean, it's looking good for, with Christ, but, you know, that, that side's doing pretty good as well. No, the picture that is given to us is overwhelming victory. 
That's what Christ brings. Overwhelming victory. But I love this Greek word that's used. This Greek word that's used is only found one time in Scripture. One time in Scripture. And the word is this, and it is hooper nikeo. And it means to gain a decisive victory. A prefix is put on the front of it. But you know what? It's a prefix that we use in our language to make the same point that sounds very similar to that. This hooper nikeo means to gain a decisive victory. It is the same prefix we use all the time to make the same point, but we put a Y there instead of a U, and it is hyper. And so the point that Paul is being made, you side with Christ, it's hyper victory. That is the point that's being made. So let's apply that. Admonition number one. With Christ... There is hyper-victory, overwhelming victory, and it now comes down to a choice that I'm going to make. What side am I going to be on? What side am I going to go on? The decision that I will choose, what side will I be on? Well, it's easy for us to say, well, I want to choose Christ. I want to be on his team. I want to be on his team. I want to be on Christ's team. That's what all of us would say, right? I mean, if we went around the room, everybody would say, "Uh, uh-uh. what team do you want to choose? Are you team Christ or are you team Satan? Everybody, everybody, I'm team Christ. I want to be on his team, right? All of us would say that. What does that look like? Well, I want us to think about how we view sports sometimes. And the way that we view sports sometimes, I think oftentimes can become our religious reality. So if you're like me, I'm a huge sports fan. I enjoy uh, watching sports. I enjoy uh, attending sporting events. I, like a lot of you, have my favorite teams that I will pull for and I will root for, and I'll do so uh, fanatically at times, right? That's where the word fan comes from. And at times, even in my own living room, I will utter phrases such as this. My team is doing very good and they win a a game, and I'm excited about that, and I'll utter the phrase like this, we dominated today. I'll say that from my own living room. We dominated today. Or maybe we lose, and it doesn't go very well, and I may use a phrase, we just didn't have it today. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. Or we win the championship, and I'll say, I'll say it, and I know you have as well. The championship is ours. We have won the trophy. But yet the reality is I did nothing. I won nothing. I have no trophy and no ring and no medal around my neck. I did nothing. And if I went to one of those players and tried to give him a hug and said, we did it. He would say, you did nothing. But we understand that. And I think we we like to use that idea religiously. I am team Christ. We did it. I love the idea of being on Christ's team. I love the idea of, of saying I'm with Christ. 
I wear his apparel from time to time. But the only victory is for those on the field, in the battle. If you are not in the battle, fighting alongside of Christ, there will be no victory for you. You can stand back and you can say, look how good we are doing. But like me in my living room, it will only be words. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. He gives us those things to equip us for the battle. Not to stand on the sidelines. So you want to have victory with Christ? Overwhelming victory. Sure and absolute victory. You have to be in the battle with them. That's point number one. Lastly, in one final passage, where we began with Caleb and his reading, look to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll end in this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a powerful, powerful chapter in the New Testament. Powerful chapter. Paul making powerful points about Jesus, about our relationship with him, about our perspective, about being on his side. And he closes this powerful chapter with these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. He says, I I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality and then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hold there just for a second. I want to make just a couple of points about this passage in a very simple kind of way. A lot happening here. I'm going to simplify it in a couple of ways. The first is this. At the very outset, the point is made that God wins the victory over death. God wins the victory over death. When death can no longer plague the living and those who have died are raised from the dead, death itself will have died. And so man, the point that's made here, wins the victory over death through the resurrection of Jesus, which is the point of chapter 15. He goes on to make then the point, almost personifying death. Think of a scorpion, think of a bee, think of a wasp, something that stings. For whatever reason, when I was studying, scorpion was coming to my mind, but the same would apply. He personifies that in 55 and in 56. Think about, in a lot of ways, I mean, there is an air of triumph given to us here in the words of God. Think about it this way. Death is the punishment for sin. 
Sin is what brought death into this world. It is what gave death its power. So when you go back to the scorpion or the bee or the wasp idea, death uses sin as its stinger. So through sin, death seemingly won the victory over man. But what did Christ do when he came? He destroyed sin and death. They were defeated. So the point that's made in verse 57 then is this incredible victory comes about by not anything else but Christ and what he has done. So the point is made there in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Because I'm so phenomenal? Through Christ. You see, the reality that you get in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is death itself could not hold the Lord. He rose from the dead, defeating death and sin. And so this incredible point is made, and then the admonition in verse 58. The admonition in verse 58 is this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. To stay with our theme, soldiers of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 is the admonition to hold ground. Now we've got to do that individually. We've got to do that individually. I cannot allow myself to drift away. We, uh, Brent made reference to Hebrews chapter 2 at the table this morning, the very beginning of that chapter. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you know, the, the admonition that's given there, give a more earnest heed to those things that you have read and to those things that you have heard. Why? Lest you drift away. You've got to give. Earnest heed, the more earnest heed. Why? Lest you drift away. So, I mean, even the Hebrew writer there in Hebrews chapter 2, I mean, in certain words, is saying, hold your ground. Don't get pushed off. Don't get pushed aside. Don't get knocked over. You hold your ground. It is every bit of a soldier military mentality. You hold your ground. As the world lobs grenades at us and at our families. You hold ground. But you know what? That admonition plays collectively as well. As our religious community, as the religious community continues over and over and over to compromise and bend the culture, That's what's happening. The religious community, that's what's happening. We have to make sure here at Trader's Point, our elders have to make sure. They've got to be steadfast. They've got to be immovable, helping then us here to be steadfast and immovable. And even though possibly everyone around us bends and gives ground to Satan, We'll make sure here we'll hold our ground. 
not willing to give or to compromise the truth in any way. And so these two powerful points surround victory. The reality that only with Christ is where victory is found. And in order to gain the victory, I have to, as a good soldier of Christ, hold ground. It's been an incredible study over the last four months. Important study for all time. I think a lot of ways for our time now to know that a choice has to be made. The understanding that I cannot in any capacity stand on the sidelines, that I have to get in the fight. But yet it is a fight that can be overwhelmingly victorious because we are choosing to fight on the side of Christ. And it really is that thought that leads us into our invitation as Marcus is going to lead us in a song. It gives us an opportunity to really mentally examine our hearts and our minds to make sure that I'm not just saying I choose Christ, but that I am fighting with him. It is our relationship. And you may be, as we sing this song, you have questions about that. And it may be you have determinations about that. About where you are with sin, where you are with God, and maybe we can help in some way. If we can, you let us know as we stand and as we sing.